Welcome to Shit You Don't Want to Talk About. Before listening to today's episode, please be advised, some content may include discussion around topics that are difficult to hear, especially for children under the age of 13. We want to encourage you to care for yourself, security, and well-being. Resources of each episode will be listed in the episode description and on the website, shittotalkabout.com. Hey, Janine. Thank you for joining Shit You Don't Want to Talk About. Could you please introduce yourself and let us know what shit you want to talk about today? Yeah. Hi, Jen. Thanks so much for having me on. So my name is Janine Worth, W-I, not W-O, and I am a psychotherapist, clinical hypnotherapist, and coach, and I specialize in trauma or painful life events is another way to say it, and I have a virtual practice working with women all over the world. I think we're at about 20 different countries now, and basically I help especially female entrepreneurs to heal and then build businesses and lives that are based on fun and freedom. And so many questions on there. Uh, The first one that pops up is what is hypnotherapy? Like I've heard of it and we've had a guest before that just kind of, he touched on it, but, and it's been a while. So I don't know if he fully went into it. What is, what are all the type of therapies you do, but specifically questions about hypnotherapy? Yeah. So I like to take a very holistic approach. Um, Back in the day when I had therapy, it was more like talk-based therapy, which is great. I'm not knocking it. We did the best at that time with what we had, but I like to use a lot of different modalities depending on what the client wants. Working with me is a very, client-oriented experience, meaning that I adjust it to that person. It's not a cookie-cutter approach. So I like to use um, EFT tapping. I like to use some NLP. There are so many different things that you can use. And I do clinical hypnotherapy. So what that basically means is you're using hypnotherapy for a medical or clinical purpose. It is not what people see on TV, you know, in the movies where someone's in Vegas and they're clucking like a chicken on stage. That is not the same thing, right? Okay. A lot of people are like, um, I'm scared. I, you're going to control my mind. I'm like, no, thank you, Hollywood. hypnotherapy is actually a very scientific uh, modality where we use alpha brain waves to if you think of your mind you can think that you have two computers the front one the logical one is the one that helps you decide what are you going to wear today what are you going to make for lunch when the back part is like this giant vault the subconscious mind. And in there are these files of all your memories, all your experiences. And I can put your logical mind to sleep and go into the vault and go and look at files and see why you behave in a certain way or why you believe certain things that perhaps aren't true. Because the thing is, once the subconscious mind holds on to a belief, It makes decisions from that place. And when it's a negative or wounded belief that's based in emotional baggage, you can imagine that the decisions and the choices coming from that place don't really serve you. 
So I want to go in and look at the truth because when I ask you a question, your logical mind wants to jump in and give me an answer for the sake of giving me an answer. So I can ask you, well, Jen, what do you think about it? Why do you think? And we can talk about it until the cows come home. That's why some people are in therapy for 10 years without getting results, you know. But when I go and look at what your subconscious mind is holding on to, because you can imagine, I hear the worst of the worst stories being a trauma specialist. But what people don't realize is, Regardless of what happens to your physical body, broken bones heals, cuts, bruises, everything heals. The problem is that your mind is holding onto unprocessed emotion and it's attached to those events. And when you don't take care of that, it doesn't go away. It doesn't just magically disappear. Great if it did, you know, then I wouldn't need to do this work. But it doesn't. It just piles up. So you can imagine when, by the time you get to 30, 40, that mountain is quite high. Yeah. And, and for our listeners real quick, I'm over here laughing uh, awkwardly because everything you're talking about, Janine, is just so on point with my experiences. So I'm not laughing about what you do. It's going, oh shit, that's real. Yeah, that's real. Yep. Yep. I've been through that. I get that quite a lot so (laughs) how many podcasts have you been on so far because you have your own podcast but how many have you been a guest on so far I actually don't know at this point I think it's somewhere in the 60s or 70s nice I've been doing it since I've been going on podcasts since I think 2019 so it's been a while Um, My own podcast, I've today, the sixth episode went live because um, I had it on my to-do list in January 2020 and then life came and said, oh, really? (laughs) And yes, (laughs) when I, I mean, I have three children and then my husband was at home as well for several months because here in Germany, we had more than one lockdown where everyone, even the schools were closed, everyone was at home. And then it's just impossible. There's so much noise, so much going on that it just got a bit delayed. And then this year I was like, right, now we're going to do the thing. Congratulations. And I, I love the fact that even though it was delayed, you still got it done. Yeah. No, definitely. Uh, I mean, I'm a firm believer in flexible structure. So I teach my clients, you know, we want to have these goals, but, and we want to know what direction we're going in, but we want to stay flexible. So when life throws us these curveballs or someone in your family gets ill or whatever happens, you can still get stuff done, but in a way where everything, your business is basically centered around your life not the other way around. I really like that. And I, I've used the term myself, organized chaos, <laughs> <laughs> just in, in the fact that it's my life, especially um, I've been clinically diagnosed as ADHD, PTSD, bipolar type two and anxiety and depression. And I also just 
in my own life have noticed, I'm not one to keep structure. And the way I've always handled it is I put people that are like my pillars around me. They're very structured people. So I end up being more structured just because they are. And and it's nice in the fact that I feel like I can get delayed on things, yet I'm not, you know, getting so far behind where it was a dream that never happened, such as launching this podcast. Now, what, what got you into going into psychotherapy and, you know, hypnotherapy? How did, how did you get to this point? Well, it started with a personal experience, which I think is true for a lot of people, especially coaches. And I myself had a traumatic childhood. I was parented, I use that word very lightly in this context, uh, by someone who experienced trauma, but back then, unfortunately, didn't get the necessary help. And then I grew up in South Africa, and there you get your driver's license at the age of 18. And on the very day that I got my driver's license, that night, I went out to go and celebrate the fact, yay, this big milestone, you know, independence, I just finished school. And I never got to the restaurant to meet my friends because I then became involved in a hijacking, a kidnapping and attempted rape at gunpoint. So that experience, and I thought I was fine. Obviously it's, It was not a great experience and I thought, okay, I need to process that. But about a week after that, because the police had a shootout, they got my car back. About a week after that, I was in my car waiting to pick my sister up and a friend who didn't know what had happened to me wanted to prank me and crept up on my car and slammed his hand down on my driver window. No, which usually I I love pranks. I'm like the biggest prankster in our family. But that at that moment in time was just, yeah, I immediately in my body, you know, I could feel that I was getting heart palpitations. It felt like I couldn't breathe. I had this rush of fear. And I thought to myself, wow, what is going on here? This is not normal. And I decided to go and see a therapist and speak about this because I was just about to start my adult life. I didn't want to live, you know, like a hermit and not be able to go out or have these things happen to me. And in that first appointment, because they always say, okay, why are you here? And I told my story. My therapist said something really amazing to me that changed my whole perspective and he said Janine I think if you had had this picture perfect childhood we probably wouldn't be here having this conversation because the way that that experience went down you probably would be dead it's because of the resilience you're forced to um get from these experiences you know being able to rely on yourself that you actually fought back because I told the guy you'll have to shoot me first you know 
And that wasn't the reaction he was expecting. You know, if someone puts a gun to your head and tells you, take your clothes off, they expect you to cry, to beg, to plead, maybe to comply even. But for me, it was like this rage. I'd never felt such rage in all my life. You know, I got into the point where I was finally about to embark on this independence and live my own life. And then that happens and I just lost it, (laughs) like really lost it. And I say to him, you will have to shoot me first. And then I, because he had dragged me up a a sand dune, I was looking down at his accomplice and then started negotiating with him saying, take my car. You've already got you know, back in the day, it was this huge Nokia. You knew immediately it was in your handbag or not. You've got my phone, you've got my jewelry, you've got everything, just take the car, you know. And when they actually left, the one that had dragged me up the dune, he said to me, you're a crazy bitch. <laughs> That's like the best compliment ever. <laughs> and I thought to myself, really? Really? After what you've just done, you want to start throwing insults around? (laughs) You know, and he said to me, if I hadn't, if I'd had this picture perfect childhood, I wouldn't tell a guy with a gun to my head, shoot me first. I, I would have reacted completely differently, you know. And that was the first moment in my life that I felt any sort of gratitude for anything experience that I had had and from that moment I basically fell in love with trauma and started reading anything I could put my hands on you know because I'd experienced it in a traumatic event like that and experienced being parented by someone who was traumatized and I just knew that if it had such an effect on me I don't want it to affect my children one day. I don't want to give my children a childhood they need to recover from. And I just started, I'm a real research nerd. Like if something interests me, I will become a walking encyclopedia on the topic. And I just started studying trauma. And then one of my best friends, excuse me, one of my best friends, got cancer out of nowhere and he was on his deathbed and he said to me make sure you love what you're doing because I thought I would have more time oh damn yeah and at that point I had because I then in the meantime make my German husband move to Germany learned the language started my corporate career over from scratch got into the point where I was doing really well, but I noticed the higher up I was going, the more unhappy I was becoming, which when people look from the outside, that doesn't make sense. It's like, you've made it, you've moved countries, you've learned a language from scratch, you've made it in this huge industry. And I was like, this is not making me happy. So luckily I have a very supportive husband and he's like, I just want you to be happy. And my children were a bit bigger then. They didn't need me as much. And I started from scratch, decided, right, let's make it official. I want to be a therapist. I want to specialize in trauma. 
and I want to work with women. Because as women, you know, we always put ourselves last. We are trained from kindergarten age to always think of the people around us, to make sure everyone around us is happy. And very often that doesn't work out for us because we end up putting ourselves last. How how was that experience? So you've restarted multiple times and that is something so many men and women and, and so many people in general are so scared of doing this starting from scratch. I have a similar experience of I've started from scratch multiple times. I decided that I wanted to be a videographer at one point to and decided to intern as videographer and learned that is not my cup of tea. Yet going through that experience helps me so much in my day job. It helps me with the podcast. It helps me with everything, but definitely yeah. don't like being behind, the, like actually being out with the camera. I'm like, this is not, no, this just does not make sense to me. But so many people are afraid of starting over. And especially from your experience, is it the trauma that you've seen that people are afraid of starting over? Or is that just inherently, we're just, you know, as humankind, we're afraid of change. What's your opinion there? I think it's a combination of a few different things. So first of all, resilience, you know, if you are someone who hasn't had a fantastic childhood, you are probably going to be quite resilient. It's a personality trait as well. I am someone who's very competitive. Um, I'm a recovering perfectionist because that perfectionism is actually very intricately linked to trauma, which I didn't know um, until a few years ago. And a lot of people pride themselves on being perfectionists. <laughs> and I think it's also, I don't know if you know about human design. A bit. Could you explain that for the audience? Yeah. So human design is basically where they use your birthday and time to get your chart. So there are different profiles. And I'm a manifesting generator. And a manifesting generator is the person has multiple interests and can basically create a career out of any of their interests. That's so really cool. I'm, I'm, I'm looking up uh, something too, um, because I don't, I promise everyone and promise you, Janine, I am not just looking at my phone to be super rude. Um, please continue. And I have something that I, I want to tell you about as well. Okay, so it's quite common for people with the manifesting generator profile to change direction a few times in their life. So these are the multi-passionate people. You know, so I love sales. I was in a corporate career training salespeople. I love therapy, so I became a therapist. I love coaching, so I've added coaching to my thing. I, when I came to Germany, I taught at different universities because we were in the middle of the huge crash in 2008. So I like to think of manifesting generators as, you know, the people that you can put them anywhere and they will survive. They will come up with an idea and make money from it. So I think it's 
especially in my case, a combination of all of those things. I'm not saying people who aren't manifesting generators can't do it, but if that is your inclination, it might be natural or feel normal to you. You know, to me, I realize, okay, moving countries, learning a language, starting over from scratch, it's a lot of big things, but it felt normal to me. So other people look at that and think, oh my God, I'd never be able to do that. And I'm like, yeah, you don't have to. My journey is my journey. You don't have to compare yourself with me. Do what makes you happy. But this is how it worked out for me. And so far it's working out quite well. <laughs> that, is, that is so true because you mentioned it and I'm like, dude, that's so cool. And yet uh, even even my, my partner, Tyler, he would be like, eh, like uh, we both share an office together and it is very hard for him when I have recording, if he can't go into the actual office, uh, if we have to share an office and I have recording that day, he has to work from the dining room table and it like throws off his entire day where if he has, if I'm not on uh, recording that day, I'll work from bed. I'll work from the table. I'll work from the couch. I'll work from wherever. I don't care. And it's, it's that complete difference of, you know, just being up and moving and, and where he is very much like a pillar and needs to that uh, steadiness. And I have done my, my uh, human design. What I was trying to, I didn't want to forget to uh, ask you is, have you ever heard of, I might be saying this wrong, but uh, Joytish uh, readings, it's J-Y-O-T-I-S-H. I actually haven't. It's really cool. And I've heard it's very similar to human design. Uh, you actually have to have somebody read your chart. And I. it's something that I found so interesting as I am a very creative and logical person. Uh, a lot of people will lean, from my experience, uh, a lot of people will lean one way and afraid to go the other way. I yeah. do my best to kind of like, force myself to go back and forth. Um, and to me, these type of like human design or this Yotish uh, reading is, some people may call it a little too woo-woo or frou-frou or all of those type of terms. And I'm like, this is something that piques my interest so much and supports so much of what I'm doing that it it lands in the world of spiritualness for me of there's more than where we're at right now. And you spoke of manifesting um, as well, just like in general, not even just your human design. And how does that show up in therapy? I, I asked because there was a point in my life where um, a workshop that I did wanted me to visualize they're like, cool, visualize where, you know, something you want to do in your life, picture yourself in there. And my, I was just like, everybody's doing it. Everybody's talking about it. Um, cool. I'm just going to be happy if I live till tomorrow, you know, like it was completely blank. I was just like, I don't know. And how, how do you talk about that with your clients and how do you bring that up, especially if they have that emptiness, I guess, of their future? Okay, so 
The part of the brain that gets affected by trauma is actually actively involved in visualization. Oh, yeah. Okay. So when people, you know, when I work with clients, they sometimes find that it's easier to do it afterwards because they can use that part of their brain a lot easier. Okay. However, what people don't understand with manifesting, you have specific and unspecific manifestors. So I'm a specific manifester, meaning that to me, the details that are important, I need to include them, right? Where I'll give an example of one of my friends, she's unspecific, you know, this, we both bought cars this year and I couldn't decide between three cars and I couldn't go and test drive these cars because we just couldn't because of the situation in Germany and lockdown and all of that. So I was trying to decide and I just couldn't. The minute I decided I wanted a BMW, two weeks later, my car was on my parking lot. Where was my friend? She's unspecific. For her, choosing a specific brand and make did not feel good to her. She felt into what would it feel like? What would it smell like? You know, it didn't have to go into detail where I was very specific. It had to, you know, be this color. It had to have these features. And that's the way that um, I because I'm a specific manifester, that helps me to get there. So just feeling into it is not enough. I need to know what can, if I'm trying to, you know, do a holiday house, where is it going to be? Is it going to be a single story? Is it going to be a double story? Must it have a balcony? What is the view? Is it mountains? Is it the beach? Those kind of things. So you don't have to know every single detail, but at least the details that are important to you. I, that is so cool. I remember the first time that I worked with a coach, I, and I, I haven't mentioned this too much on the podcast. Uh, in my mid twenties, I quit my corporate job in sales and moved across country to have, try to have a better relationship with my father, which that's a story for another day not worth going into today. Yet while I was there, I was, I went from Arizona to Indiana and I was, the only job I could really get was a cocktail server and cool, whatever. I, within uh, two years, I moved back to Arizona and somebody posted about, Hey, get free sessions uh, for, you know, coaching because they're a life coach and they need to have certain hours. And I met with her and she's like, well, what type of job do you want? And it's so cool because she asked me specific. She's like, well, where do you think you're looking at? Like, what type of environment is it? Are you sitting or standing? Is it indoor or outdoor? And it was, that was the first time I was really able to have that type of saying it out loud. And what I described, what I worked at a, um, cell phone company that I was standing for eight to 10 hours a day. And which after seven years of doing that, I was absolutely miserable. And so I said, I really want to still talk to people. I just really want to make sure I'm sitting down and that I can make enough money to pay off my debt and 
that it's a fun environment and I have room to grow. And within a month, I restarted my career and was able to work at an internet company call center. And that's the job that within three years took me international. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's interesting to me how asking those questions, even of ourselves, can really help with working on that visualization. And I love your call out of you can you can do it both ways. You don't have to be as specific. Like yeah. the way she was asking me these questions, I became more spe- specific. See if I can talk that specific. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, it is. And, you know, sometimes I like to say the ocean instead of Pacific, you know, it matters on the day. Um, and it's just so cool of that call out because it, having that goal in life, that's kind of how I've also wrapped my head around it is it's a goal. Um, not necessarily just a manifestation or behind the book, the secret or a vision, because in my logical brain, if I say it's a goal, it makes more sense. And then in my, um, you know, creative spiritual brain, I'm like, yeah, it's, you know, a vision, a manifestation and, and it, it makes the two sides work together. Um, and, and talking about the brain a bit, um, And I'm curious how this, if you've worked with anybody like this, is my trauma that I grew up with, which is on a very, very high level, you and I talked about this during our intro call, is physical abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, rape, blah, blah, blah. Um, And I'm very good at at saying it as bullet points, still working through therapy, which is no offense to therapists. The blah, blah, blah part that gave you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not my favorite thing to work through. Um, (laughs) yet so worth it is uh, I thought I was over it all. I never went to therapy. My outlet was looking at personal development courses. Like I've been a person, personal development junkie. And what happened is last year in 2020, I guess by the time your episode comes out, it'll be 2022, which is crazy to me to think. Uh, In November, 2020, I had to have a craniotomy. And -hmm. where the craniotomy was, it was on my right temple. And there hasn't been a lot of research in this that that's where all your long-term memories are stored. And so that re-triggered everything. And I'm grateful in the fact that that got me to finally launch the podcast and 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 make this happen yet does that not just from surgery but does that resurgence of memories pop up for people like later on where they thought they were totally fine it depends it depends on the type of therapy that they're doing and it depends on how skilled their practitioner is because this is why and I can be a bit of a, a grinch about it. I feel that there are people working in trauma that should not be working in trauma. Reading a book on trauma does not make you qualified to work in trauma, right? And if you are not careful, you can re-traumatize people. And I've had quite a few people come to me and say, I went to so-and-so. I wanted to kill myself afterwards. 
help me. And we never want to our clients off worse than when they came to us, right? So that's why I'm I'm a bit of a stickler on people. You know, I love the fact that people want to do the work, but do the due diligence and find someone who has experience, who's qualified, who knows what to do and can hold that space for you because there are so many people and I get, I, I totally understand that they want to do good in the world, but if you end up hurting people, you're not doing good in the world. Yeah. So, Very true. I mean, you wouldn't take your car to a bakery for a service, right? So make sure that when it comes to, and trauma is such a personal topic, make sure that you have chosen someone that you feel a connection with that is qualified and that you trust. And that uh, I've mentioned before on the podcast that finding a therapist or even I would say a coach, because you definitely use each for different reasons yet. uh, Finding a therapist is such a unique experience and can be very hard to find a therapist that you vibe well with. And my therapist, we, our first meeting was virtual and just her presence is what I vibed with. And I told her point blank at the beginning, I was like, I can't know anything about you uh, because I'm amazing at getting to know my therapist better than my therapist knows me. And that's totally a defense mechanism. (laughs) And uh, she's like, okay, cool. And over the, oh gosh, I've been seeing her for seven months now. We're working through EMDR. um, And yes, I'm currently stuck at the moment of a memory that I have feelings for, but I can't remember it. And Mm -hmm. so she's helping giving me like, even though I'm very stuck of helping me break it down and being very patient with me. And the reason that I mentioned this is there's been only a couple instances that she said, Jen, I'm pushing you because I've been through something like this and I know you can get through it. And by Mm -hmm. pushing, she'll just be like, she'll let me talk for about, um, because we signed up for hour and a half sessions instead of like the normal 50 minute sessions. And the reason is, is because I have to feel like I can talk everything out currently before I can go to the past. So when we're talking about everything currently, she'll give me those like, what the fuck, Jen? Like, why do you think you're thinking like that? You know, and she makes me think about these things and she calls me out of my shit. Yet when we go into the, you know, we start doing the eye movement stuff, she would never in a million years do that. She's very, okay, what do you feel now? How are you feeling? Let's dive deeper there. And that dynamic is something that I've looked for in a therapist for 20 years and have never been able to find. And it's so important to have that trust and figure out what you need from a therapist too, which I think is easier said than done. Because I thought I could go to any therapist and I've had many therapists that mess me up more than before I got there. Yeah. 
I'm and sorry. what would you suggest to people looking for therapists? I think that you should be honest with yourself in what kind of personality you do best with. Um, I am known as the no bullshit therapist and coach. I am not the kumbaya, let's cry into our lace hankies type of person. It's not my personality. And, you know, when I became a therapist, I thought to myself, well, I'm going to be listening to people's stories. And very often I am honored that I'm the first person to hear people's stories. And for me, I had to think about, well, who am I and how am I going to be perceived? Because there's a very fine line between empowering and mothering. Oh, wow. That is such a good call out. And I'm not here to mother. There are three people on this planet that I need to mother. And they are not my clients, right? I'm there to empower. And I have a lot of my clients tell me I have warrior energy. They like pick that up from me. I'm like, I'm here for it. Let's slay the dragons. Let's do that. And not everyone will enjoy that. You know, if they're looking for the Kumbaya lace hanky vibe, that's not me. Uh, can you give us an example of uh mothering versus empowering and uh you can use me as a guinea pig on this of I'm telling you that I'm having a really bad week and I got into a car crash and just like shit hit the fan I'm just not doing well what is a mothering response to that are you okay my angel can are you okay to go to work have you been to the doctor do you think that we need to call someone you know it's not empowering empowering would be have you gotten medical attention we want to make sure that our clients are physically safe and then saying okay how did you get into this situation how can we find a way to reframe this, that it's actually working for you. Mothering your clients is, and I see this, especially when people do coaching as well, like I do, it's doing things for our clients instead of teaching them how to do it for themselves. I, I, even in just regular work and not coaching, I've seen that in the fact that I'm like, Oh, it'll just be easier for me to do it. Let me just do it. And, and the mothering versus empowering as well in friendships or in relationships as well, not even just clients. So thank you for, for showing us those differences. I think that's a very, very clear way. Yet I'm like, oh shit, I've totally done that to people. My bad. <laughs> How do you go ahead? With, with mothering, we, are protecting and we are making decisions for the person if my child gets hurt I'm going to make those decisions for him or her depending which child um, where empowering 
I'm helping you to make your own decision and what feels good for you because I might make a different decision in that situation because we have different ideas of happiness or success or goals, whatever. But we need to provide the information, provide different perspectives and lead you through the process of coming to a decision that is right for you, not telling you what is right for you. That's mothering. I tell my child, it's cold outside, put a jacket on. I'll tell my client, this could happen, this could happen, this could happen. What feels right for you? And and I see that even in the jacket situation of it's cold outside. You might want a jacket, you know, compared to your kids. Uh, It's cold outside, put on a jacket. And when you're talking to your clients, especially those coaching others, how do you get them to break the cycle? Because is it something that they learn to do with, with their clients or is it something that came naturally to them? I think it's a combination of things. You know, some people have a very mothering kind of personality, you know, where they always want to look after people and they want to make sure everyone's happy. And and that's a good thing in other parts of your life. Yeah. And I think that some people, you know, even your childhood, the way you grew up could influence that. I've from a very young age looked after myself so and I'm very independent and I like to make my own decisions I do not like to be told what to do so that obviously I think that other people must feel that way if someone was dictating to me it would never work because I'm not someone that likes to be dictated to you know so when we go into these relationships we need to look at the personalities and the dynamics of it and decide what inspires you and what holds you accountable you know I have a client that says to me she basically knows what she wants to do in her business but she works with me specifically because I lovingly kick her ass when I say we set you know a goal together by the time when we get there she needs to produce something, you know, and I'm not, she said to me, she can't even make stupid excuses to me because she feels like, so this is not going to work here. <laughs> yeah. You know? and, and that's and something we, uh, back in December, we did launch uh, an episode about getting over excuses and where these excuses come from. It's a lot of what, I'm hearing too. And in my own experience is I ended up getting divorced because I was mothering so much. And Mm -hmm. and I say that because I, I literally would just coddle him and well, that didn't help me feel any better. And that like in the long run, just, it wasn't a good relationship yet. My, my current partner is phenomenal at that in the fact that if I need him he'll be there like I'm still going through a lot of my trauma like working through it and yet if I'm you know just being I'll say lazy or you know something he's like you're a bad bitch go get it or he's like you're independent you go do it 
Mm. And it's so cool to have that relationship because it pushes me to be still very independent, to go after my goals, yet feel so close to him because I'm able to have those two dynamics. And when you mentioned that about a partner, it, I feel that from you. I don't know if you have a very similar experience, but it, it's very energizing, I guess I could say is the best way to say that. Thank you. I have a friend who's a very well-known relationship coach, and she teaches her clients that mothering your partner, and I'm talking about women who are in relationships with men, the minute you cuddle and mother a man, and he, if he's a masculine man, you are killing the passion because that mother energy is not sexy. Men do not want to sleep with their mothers. Yeah. Yeah. For listeners that are not watching on YouTube, I'm giving her a scratchy face right now. No. (laughs) And when she said it, I just laughed and I thought it's so true. It is so true. And powerful, masculine, high-value men, they don't need you to mother them. They want to feel like they've got you. And that's very difficult if you're playing mommy to them. Yes, yes. In in my partner, it was he was the first guy that I naturally started wanting to mother him. And he was like, I got a mom. You don't need to. And he would call me out on it. And he'd be like, Jen, I get you want to control the situation, bag off. And it was that type that really taught me what the difference was and Mm -hmm. to learn to trust him as well. Because I can be a leader and yet allow, like, trust him to lead. And that was something that was a huge change for myself and did you have those type of experiences with your husband and how did that trauma like show up in your relationship? Because you worked through a lot of it and at least in my relationship, Tyler's been there for it and has helped quite a bit yet. I know many people they've already worked through it before a relationship or they're working on it through their relationship. Like how does that show up for you? Well, For me, I always have to step on the brakes in the sense that in my life, I'm so used to leading. I lead my clients. I lead my business that I have to remind myself that I don't lead my husband. And if he ever because he has a wonderful mother and she was really terrific. If he ever gets into the place where I feel he's being needy or that, I tell him I could do that for you, but then you would be my princess and that would just kill any ideas of sleeping with you. I'm very direct, you know, (laughs) and that just like is a nice way to remind him you're the man, you're big enough, you're old enough, go do it kind of thing. Obviously, I support him in things where he needs help, but I want him to feel empowered. And being my princess is not empowered. It's not empowered for me, I think, and it's not empowering for him, you know. So for me, it's been 
interesting to see that self-awareness kicking myself where I notice in the moment, shit, I'm trying to control him or I'm trying, he's not my employee or, or I need to take a step back and think, okay, he's got the information. Let's see what he does with it, you know, and give him that space to actually go into it and do it his way. Because I know what my way is. And his way is usually a different way. And sometimes, you know, because we both have strong personalities and he's a CEO, um, we do sometimes get into a bit of a, a power struggle. And then I ask myself, is this worth it? Is this worth it? Is it worth having this fight or this conversation? Am I supposed to be leading this? What is my role in this? Am I the pilot or the co-pilot? In some cases, I am the pilot. And then I have to remind him that he's the co-pilot in that specific situation. So it takes a lot of self-awareness from both people being prepared to call each other out in a nice way. And choosing your battles. I really connect with that. And in, in the fact, specifically in the part that you said, uh, there's times that you need to be the pilot and he's the co-pilot and vice versa. There's times where he's the pilot and you need to be the co-pilot. That is really powerful to think. And what I've seen in my relationship as well is that does happen too, where we both take turns and I will say he definitely takes care of our family um, so well. And that allows me the freedom to be able to work both jobs, um, the podcast and my real job and do this other work. And I also have found that I need a lot of rest uh, to recover, to re put out all this energy. And he's so patient with me that it's, it's definitely that dynamic of both. Uh, di especially when you two started uh, dating was in and then became married is it something that your past trauma uh, from the parenting experience or from uh, the hijacking or anything like that have those experiences come up and in your relationship Not really, because I met my husband when I was 27, and that happened to me when I was 18. There was a lot of time that I'd been doing the work, and in between that, I had been married and gotten divorced. So I, it was my first time at the radio, you know. So that didn't really come up. Obviously, he knows about it, and he loves the fact that I do this work. It was at that point in my life, more like a fact, like the grass is green, sky is blue. This is what happened. This is the work that I've done on it. I was very secure in myself. And by the time I met him, I was divorced. I had a really high flying corporate job. And I, <laughs> he came to South Africa for two years on a project and I met him through some friends some German friends and when he phoned to ask me out I said to him 
you're gonna go home eventually I'm I'm divorced I've got two children I've got a very demanding job find yourself a Barbie have your fun and I'm not the person for you like shit is real on my side here it's not I'm not here for your fun times your happy memories of your time in Southern I'm not available for that shit and his answer sealed the deal he said to me do you want to eat or not (laughs) I love that yeah so I thought okay this guy might be a bit different because from my perspective you know he'd never been married he'd never even lived with a woman never been even engaged and I was already divorced he didn't have any children and I was like dude I'm not the one for you (laughs) you're like level zero and I'm at level 200 I don't think this is going to work and he was very confident in himself and he's like well do you want to eat or not it's like I'm not proposing it's lunch you know (laughs) which was great because we had two dates in one day he invited me for lunch I went we went back to work we work for different companies. He invited me to cocktails. I went. He had a business dinner. He said if he didn't have that business dinner, he would have invited me for dinner. And I was like, I would have said no on principle. Just not to make it too easy for him, you know. And long story short, he proposed after six months. We were engaged for 22 hours. And on Valentine's Day, we've been, we will be married for 14 years already. Congratulations. Thank you. And happy early anniversary. Thank you. Yeah. So you need that. that Very unique. (laughs) You need that dynamic. And yeah, I said to him, well, because my husband, it took him nine months to choose a new couch. So my husband is not someone that is very um, spontaneous or very impulsive. If it takes the guy nine months to choose a new couch, I said to him, how did you propose within six months? And he said, I only did it because I knew if I didn't, someone else would notice how great you are and I wouldn't have a chance. I had to seal that deal, lock it in. And I was like, good man time management dude I'm busy (laughs) that is wonderful and going back to I know we keep switching from your husband to your clients uh, and last question with your with your clients does that ever trigger anything and or when you're talking to coaches and they're working with clients does how do you walk them through if they're triggered on anything? I don't get triggered very often. And I'm very grateful for that because I know that a lot of people do. I think you can be compassionate without going to the point where you're living your client's story. For me, the, the most important thing is knowing that when I show up and use my skills, that person is going to leave better off. I help them slay the dragons, but I don't take the dragons home. 
Mm-hmm. Right. So if my clients get triggered by their own clients, then we need to look at that because that is shining a spotlight on, hey, here's something that needs your attention. This is something that you haven't quite um, healed completely, or maybe they weren't even aware that that's a trigger for them. I always say that we need to look at these triggers as gifts because it's showing us what we need to focus on next. That is a powerful way to think of it. And a dynamic shift that I feel many of us, myself included, of thinking of a trigger as a gift. I have personally just get really frustrated at them and then go, guess I have to work through that. And, and it's in more of an annoyance. And I, I love that shift of it's a gift. Yeah. It teaches us what we need to work through. Uh, I mean, if your goal is to keep becoming the next best version of yourself, these triggers are helping you get there faster. Why would you not be appreciative of that? That is true. That is true. And thinking of trauma the same way of I know that my trauma has made me who I am. And it is something that if I didn't go through what I have and may go through something in the future, that it does make me deal with things a lot better now. And it's taken me a long time to not listen to the outside people of when they're like, but you've been through so much. So I I would always go, oh, I guess I shouldn't be grateful for it. And now I'm like, okay, everybody shut up. Like, I am grateful for what I've gone through. I am now who I am and can show up for others because I went through all of that. And Mm -hmm. that is definitely something that is, is difficult sometimes to explain when others haven't gone through those type of traumatic experiences. Yeah. You know, my whole theory on this or my whole goal of the work that I do is to help women become who they were always meant to be, regardless of what has happened to them, regardless where they start out in life. Because you get two kinds of people. You get the person who makes these traumatic, painful life events one page of their story. And you get other people who make it the entire book. It becomes so part of their identity that they cannot see themselves as anything else than a victim. I work with survivors. I don't work with victims. That is... It's interesting because it makes me think of that dynamic between a therapist and a coach. A therapist many times is someone that will work with a victim to help them get through it to become a survivor. A coach is someone that normally will work with them after they work through that trauma. So Mm -hmm. I love that you you are a bit of both and yet you focus more on when they're on the tail in to become a survivor and work to from even surviving to thriving the way I see it is 
every single person who experiences trauma chooses who they're going to be, regardless of the work that they do. It is the active decision of saying, this has happened to me, but I'm still going to become who I'm meant to be, or this has happened to me, my life is over. That is a choice. That is a choice. That is a choice. And I think that's something that many, many people don't realize that it is a choice. And I know we're getting uh, close on time. Is is there anything that you wanted to talk about that we didn't talk about yet? I think the only thing is that I think often people don't really understand what trauma really is and how it affects the mind. You know, it's again that Hollywood example of the war veteran, you know, and having this PTSD, you know, flashbacks and this really makes for great movie watching, but they think that, okay, that is what it is. But trauma is anything where the mind feels it cannot cope. It can be being bullied as a child. It can be having parents that are emotionally not available to you. So they give you your clothing and your food and that, but they're not there to emotionally support you. They don't clap when you win. They don't, you know, try and build you up or anything like that. So if you have that experience and you feel that you're not good enough, that's obviously going to affect the trajectory of your life and the decisions that you make. So I can very confidently say I've not met a person yet who has not experienced trauma. They maybe just don't perceive it as trauma because they think, well, I was bullied for 10 years, but I mean, so many people are bullied. It's like so normal. I'm not going to go on about that. I think that is a great call out of, because there's, I've seen in so many people where they talk about in detail what they've been through and they know my story already. And they'll be like, but it's nothing compared to you. And I'm like, this isn't a competition. Like it's not who's been through the worst shit. Yeah. No one's going to, yeah, exactly. No one's going to win a prize for going through more shit and trauma is trauma and it affects all of us differently. And I love your call out on that is almost everyone has been through trauma. I'm yet to meet someone who has not been traumatized in some way, whether it was a teacher at school saying you're never going to amount to anything or a parent or grandparent or there's so many, especially as children, we're like sponges picking up all this information and this forms the ideas that we have about ourselves and the way we think about ourselves. So don't compare yourself. You know, society teaches us to rate and compare. Don't do that. Give yourself the respect and the space. You've earned that trauma. You know, you went through that. Now you deserve to get help regardless of where it falls on someone's imaginary scale. You know, no, because I also often hear that, well, I was bullied for 10 years, but at least I was never raped. Who are you? You know, are you trying to impress me? Are you not trying to impress me? What is the deal? 
Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that is. It's crazy of how dismissive we are or can be about our own experiences. Yeah. And ourselves. Yeah, you've gone through that. I think that often we are the most judgmental on ourselves because we're scared of what people are going to think. What are they going to say? How how are they going to perceive us if they know this about us? And I would encourage anyone that feels like that to stop worrying about what other people are thinking. You're here for your journey. Focus on yourself. Do what you need to do. Get the help that you need so that you can have a happy and fulfilling life. Nobody else cares. They don't have a say in your journey. Yeah, that is a very, very good call out. And as we wrap up, any words of wisdom for our audience? Hmm. I would say if you are someone who wants to start or embark on this healing journey, Keep in mind that it's your journey and you get to decide the pace. You get to decide the when, the where, the how. Don't try and rush things. Go at your own pace. I always set the intention and it's a belief that I've had since I started my business is that the right people will find me at the right time, meaning that they are ready to do the work with me specifically. Just be open. And when you feel called to have found someone that is part of your healing journey, take that action. Take yourself seriously. Give that to yourself. Agreed. Agreed. And what is something that you're grateful for? Mm, I'm grateful for the internet. And I know that a lot of people are like, oh, social media is so awful. I'm not talking about that part. I'm grateful for the internet because it allows me to work with so many different women in so many different locations. Without it, I wouldn't be able to have this conversation with you. You know, it has allowed me to give women care, mental health care, in such an easy way because all of my stuff is online on zoom where women don't have to take time off work nobody even knows that they're getting help you know they don't have to get a babysitter if they put their kids to bed and we have their call afterwards it has allowed me to make it so much easier for the people that need it a hundred percent and i I I will mention something else I'm grateful for, but uh, to start, it's amazing what the internet can do, considering that when we first started our call, it was 7 a.m. my time and 3 p.m. your time. It's lovely that the internet is allowing us to connect. Yeah. And something that I'm grateful for is the fact that we are all on different journeys and we meet each other at a time where we all need to meet someone. And it may be a life lesson. It may be somebody that's going to be there forever. It may be a stranger passing yet 
it's all woven together that it will help us become who we're meant to be. Yeah, I love that. I totally agree with that. You know, some people, each person that we meet has a different role. And oftentimes they're not meant to accompany you the entire way. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. I, it took me a long time to learn that. And I'm very, very grateful for my two best, like I call them sisters. Cause I've known one literally since I was born and one since I was 11 or 12 and they, they definitely set the bar for anybody that's going to be a, a lifelong someone because they, we have been through a lot of shit together. <laughs> That's wonderful. You're very lucky to have that and you should hold on to that. I always tell people, the people who clap when you win with no and they have no agenda, those are the people you need to have in your inner circle. Agreed, agreed. Well, thank you so much, Janine, for joining the podcast today and talk soon. Thank you so much for having me. It was awesome. Okay, cool. Um, how do you end your podcast? Because I always say, uh, uh, thank you for joining. And then I feel like I have to say something else. I guess I could just say thank you for joining and just like leave it. On my podcast, I usually ask the people, where can people find you online? And then they'll say, then I say, well, thank you so much for your time. And then I play an outro. I think I'm just going to leave this all in the podcast now and say, where can people find you online? Because I have the most awkward endings on every episode. So how do people find you? <laughs> That's a nice way to end it off, you know, and I think that people who connect with the guests, that would be the logical next question. Obviously in the show notes, I put links in that, but it's just a nice way to end it, I think, because it, it can be a bit awkward. Well, how do people find you? So that way I make sure it's in the podcast. <laughs> well, on the Instagram, I'm therapist underscore Janine Worth, W-I-R-T-H. And my website is janineworth.com. On all my so social media, I'm therapist Janine Worth. Awesome. Thank you. And please, everyone, because this is a better outro and saying goodbye. Please, everyone, please check out Janine. Definitely follow her and keep up on what she's working on and definitely reach out to her for coaching too. Thank you. We appreciate you listening to the episode. Please like, follow, and share on our social media at shit to talk about. That is shit the number two talk about. Stay tuned on Wednesdays and Fridays for new episodes. This episode was made possible by production manager Trom Nguyen, business manager Bill Powell, and your host Jen.